Well, through the, through the years, through the six years of being a church, we've spoken a lot of words. We've said words, a lot of them. Some of the words we hope have been powerful, um, all of them truthful, we hope. Some words maybe even controversial or convicting. We don't want you to always leave here having enjoyed the message. We've spoken a lot of words. Nick spoke some good words this morning about God's generosity and his invitation to you and I to live generously. We've said a lot of words in six years, but never this. Turn to Habakkuk. It's page 785, I believe, in the black ESV study Bible in front of you. If you greet that invitation to turn to Habakkuk with weakness, fear, and trembling, just wait a moment. We'll put the passage up on the screen. A lot of us know that the Bible, the best-selling book of all time, is really not so much a book as it is a collection of books, 66 different books, uh, divided up into Old and New, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, and New Covenant. And there are further helpful distinctions within, uh, within the, this book, this collection of books. In the Old, there ha- is for us, there's law and there's history, there's poetry and there's prophecy. And in law, we get a, a lot in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We, we get the story of creation and the flood and the Tower of Babel. We get the age of patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the rise and fall uh, of Joseph, the captivity in Egypt, the exodus out of Egypt, the engraving of the, the Ten Commandments, the, the building, the construction and design of the tabernacle, the complete law of Moses. We get that in the law in history, Joshua and Judges, and first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, Ruth, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah. We get history there. We get the age of judges and kings and the conquering of the promised land. We get the building uh, of the temple, the exile into Babylon, the division of the kingdom, the return to Judah. We have history and we have poetry. We have Job, known by scholars as probably the oldest book of the Bible chronologically. We have Job and Psalms and Proverbs and we have the Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes and Lamentations because there needs to be time where we, we understand suffering and we give voice uh, to our suffering and to those who, who suffer, who don't have a voice to that. So in the, the biblical poetry, we get love and lament, we get prayer and praise, we get suffering and survival. And then we have the prophets, the prophets, those old guys that often just seem angry. You know any old guys that seem angry? They're just getting old, okay? Everything hurts on them. That's why they're angry. Give them some slack, right? But these, these prophets uh, speak the truth. They have a real sense of justice. You know, some of you know, uh, the major prophets, not because their message is more important than the minor prophets, but they're called major due to the length, the actual words, the volume of words that is spoken in the ancient text. But there are major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel. There are many, many minor prophets. And God tells these men some stuff that just seems kind of wacky on the junk for us. Like he goes to Hosea and tells him to marry a prostitute. Any parents in the room, are you going to tell your teenagers to do that? Go and marry Gomer, this prostitute. Why would God do that? He wants to show us his relentless, passionate love for us amidst your and you're in my unfaithfulness to him. He instructs Ezekiel to write down his words of mourning on a scroll and eat them. He instructs Ezekiel 
to shave all the hair off his body with a sword. Ezekiel asked for a mock Gillette 3 after that. That's not in the ancient text, but he asked for that. God said that comes later. But he shaves all the hair off his body. Bald is beautiful. That's our stance at Fondren. You know this. But all of his body hair off with a sword. And God, what are you doing? But as you dig deeper, we can learn through study, through reflection, through context and history and culture, we can understand that God has a prophetic, important message for people in that time. And so much of it is, all of it's inspired, but so much of it is transcendent. If you're around Fondren Church and you're in or around or under my teaching for any length of time, you'll know one of my life verses is from a prophet, Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? He requires that you and I do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. From this stage here in the 930 service in the gym, often we enjoin Amos chapter 5, that our singing is just useless sound and noise and symbols and meaningless song unless we go from here and translate it into action. His justice rolling like a river in the world today. So, I love the prophets. I want you to know that. Uh, There's a lot that we can misunderstand. In fact, one of the biggest misunderstandings is this. Just throwing it out there for a few nerds, okay? The rest of you hold on. But we often have a misnomer about the prophets. We think that the prophets are all just predicting future occurrences. Certainly that exists. There is some foretelling, but mostly there's foretelling. It's these guys laying down the law, sharing God's heart for justice and mercy in the world today. And in the middle of this, we have Habakkuk. Habakkuk lived and worked and moved and did his thing in, in a 600 B.C., give or take, uh, 50 years there on either side. He, he was under the reign of King Josiah and Jacoma. And he lived, his, the, the contemporary prophets of his day were Nahum and Zephaniah and Jeremiah. And into this, he, he spoke and he was a different sort of prophet. In fact, stay with me for a second. He was less like a, a prophet in that he did not speak to the people about God. Rather, he spoke to God on behalf of the people. So, categorically, it's almost like he's more like Job. We get to eavesdrop on this conversation between him and God. And it is raw and unfiltered. And this guy, Habakkuk, dares to question God. He raises concerns and questions God's actions in the world and his very wisdom and character. And this is who we have in this man, Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1. Now listen, related to the time that it was, there was lots of frustration and people freaking out because it was a cesspool of corruption. The society had turned bad. It was a very godless society. People were at each other's throat. And he uses six words, you'll see in a moment, he uses six different terms to describe his day. Destruction, violence, strife, contention, perversion and wickedness and into that culture people were seeing that and they were wondering God where are you in the midst of this corruption they were frustrated and they were freaking out he was concerned about the state of the nation which makes me think that was so long ago and is so untrue today right 
Nobody in this room, the lower mezzanine or the balcony, 930 service in the gym or us, nobody's concerned about the state of the nation. Nobody in our nation is really concerned about the state of our nation. Everything's great, right? We're all unified. There's no strife or contention, no, no debauchery, no, nothing like that, right? We're all happy. No one's frustrated or freaking out. Like, why are we even doing this sermon series? When you're frustrated and when you're freaking out, there's no calm and there's no peace. Social scientists, public opinion experts, psychologists and therapists are saying that that is at a real high in our, in, a, in our land today. Forgive my earlier sarcasm, but there's a lot of you, a lot of us that are very frustrated with what's happening in the world today. I read this yesterday on a sign. Never in the history of calm down has anybody ever calmed down after being told to calm down. And it's just not enough, is it? When you're freaking out and you're frustrated and you're looking at the world in which we live and you're wondering where God is, it's not enough when someone tells you to calm down. We need depth. We need truth that is transcendent. We need His Word in our lives. Turn to the screen or look to your lap and we'll read Habakkuk chapter 1 and we'll just read the first four verses. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Did you see those six words that I earlier delineated? Those six words, six different terms that Habakkuk uses to describe the state of of the nation and what I love about Habakkuk is he's like uh, he's just like a man like he's men are bottom line do you guys know this if you're married or want to be married one day men are just like bottom line like just straightforward no prolonged or preamble no frivolous small talk let's get straight to it and Habakkuk gets straight to it here and let me say this for for a little bit of backdrop Habakkuk the term he was he was a temple priest turned prophet and the name is derived from a fragrant plant in the Acadia region of ancient Mesopotamia. And it means to embrace or to wrestle. If you're a note taker, write that down because we're going to go back to that at the end. The name Habakkuk from a fragrant flower in the Acadia region of ancient Mesopotamia. You don't care about that part. But it means to embrace or to wrestle. And we see this dominant dual nature from an honest man. A lot of us come to church and we lie. Not trying to insult or sound harsh or judgmental, but we, we do some of our best lying in church. And here we just, we, as we eavesdrop in this conversation, we see him get straight to the point, and he asks two questions. Did you see him? He asked two questions. Anybody paying attention? What were those two questions? Good. Okay. I'm all alone, and it's really, I just feel naked. How long and why? Ever ask that? How long and why? These are two of the earliest questions of humanity and two of the most important questions in human nature. How long and why? This question here, how long, is asked 65 times in Scripture. Different contexts, Matthew 17, 17, Jesus asked the disciples, how long do I have to put up with you? How long? I mean, you know, we're, we're going to complain and lament toward God today, okay? Or I'm going to give you the green light to do that. But, you know, Jesus does that to us. Hey, how long? 
How long till you turn? How long till you repent? How long till you get real? How long till you come clean? How long till you come to me? How long do you give up your idols and the things that are holding you back? How long? But that question, way more times than not, way more of the 65 times, it's people like you frustrated and freaking out and telling somebody not to tell you to calm down and you want to know how long and why. Ever call a company about a bill and they pick up the phone and they ask you if you will wait, if you will, if you will be put on hold for a few minutes? Let me help you. That's a rhetorical question. Don't say no. All right. I mean, j- just oblige them. That's what they're going to do. It's rhetorical. They're going to put you on hold. There's a video a few years ago that went viral of a man at a fine restaurant, fine eating establishment. They were taking so long, how long? They were taking so long that he called a pizza place and had a pizza delivered inside the fine eating establishment. The people applauded. Some of them ate pizza to protest the waiting. How long? Ever heard a sermon that just goes on and on and just never seems to end? Ever? If you haven't, hold on. Nick and Daniel preaching in the coming weeks as well. Have you you been to a doctor's office recently? When you go to a doctor's office, everybody knows there's there's an entire room devoted to waiting. And it is called, you got to get this one, it is called the... And who is never in the waiting room? There's one person who's never in the waiting room. That is the the doctor. There's sort of a rule in waiting. Okay, This is one of the rules in waiting that the less important person has to wait on the more important person. Disney World. They realized that big kids and little kids asked the question how long so much that they started posting, digitally posting, how long it's going to take. From this point, it will take you three days to get on the Jungle Cruise, right? And don't you wish, hear me now, don't you wish, well, let's just go first world for a second, first world problems, but don't you wish that there was a a digital sign or a voice that you could hear, right? Two weeks before that cute boy calls, six months before the house sells, a year before the job opens, four years before the kids grow up, another 10 years before your spouse grows up, right? There'll just be a voice that tells you how long, how long? Look at the psalmist. This is probably my favorite passage of the how longs. It's so raw. Here we eavesdrop again into the lament. Not the rah-rah celebration of a cheerleader, but the words of a man deeply pained and wondering why God is sitting idly by. And he says, what does he say? How long? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? How long? Here's what I want to tell you. In Scripture, it's big part of my job to study this book. And I want to tell you this, just dropping a truth on you. In Scripture, rarely if ever does God say a week from Wednesday, two weeks from Thursday, three more days, this time next year. But he says to us, just wait. Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait. How? patiently for him do not fret don't freak out don't grow frustrated do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes verse 34 of the same chapter hope in the lord 
And this is maybe the hardest part in waiting. And keep his way. Don't be a lump on a log. Don't celebrate passive inaction. Don't be in a vegetative state. Don't be complacent or apathetic. Keep his way. You're actually doing some things while you wait patiently on him. Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. There's a a season coming up. We we all know this season. Uh, Advent is going to... It's coming upon us, a high and a holy time that is a season for what? For waiting. In Luke chapter 2, we'll probably get there on Christmas Eve or leading up to Christmas Eve, which is, I think, in 48 or 9 days. There's this passage about Simeon. Let's go back to that, just the phrase that I have. Now, there was a man named Simeon who was righteous and devout. You get that? Like, this isn't a bad dude. This is not an evildoer. This is not someone who's pillaging and raping and not caring for the world. This is a righteous and devout man. And he is having to wait. Anybody think you're exempt? Simeon was waiting for what? I want to hit pause. Anybody know what he's waiting for? We'll get there. Yes. We'll get there in just a second. Some of us are smarter than the rest of us. But we'll get there in just a moment. But Simeon was waiting for something. But I want to stop and ask you, What are you waiting for? And I want to tell you, in your waiting, a couple of things can happen. Number one, when you're waiting, this could happen. You could not get what you're waiting for. Can I tell you that? Like that, it's really important. Do you think that God is obligated to give you what you're waiting for? Or do you read the little sweet devotionals that are sweet and saccharine and syrupy and they tell you that you know, if God closes something, he opens something else and that he opens is a lot better. And I was, I was at a conference one time. A powerful speaker was, was bringing it. And it was good for me. The whole week was good for me. It, it, it changed my life. But I remember this guy saying you know, that God had a, uh, this, this guy had a beautiful girlfriend that God had given him. And she broke up with him. But then God was so good that he gave him a more beautiful girlfriend than her. And the implication seemed to be that that's God. Just wait and he'll give you what you want. And I want to say to you, sometimes you may not get what you want. Proverbs 13, 12, I preach this a good bit. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hundreds of people are in this room this morning. That means very likely that there are sick hearts. There are broken hearts of some of us waiting and not getting what we are waiting for. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You may not get what you're waiting for. Second thing I want to tell you is you may get what you're waiting for. He's a good God. He is a good God. Look, I don't want to be Debbie Downer today, negative Nelly. Like, I I could tell stories. I'm not going to, but I could tell stories of a a closed door and an open door and better things and all that. Heck yeah. You may get what you're waiting for. Jesus tells a story. I wonder why he told it in Luke chapter 11 where 10 people were healed of their leprosy. Could you imagine having a disease like this? Could you imagine being a social outcast? Could you imagine feeling your ugliness and deformity and just feeling so marginalized? Like, what would you be hoping for? 
Like, you don't care about DirecTV not having the local Fox affiliate so you can watch the World Series, right? Or the Cowboys. You don't care about that. Like, if you're, if you're a leper, like, you are wanting healing. That's really all you want. And Jesus tells a parable, this make-believe story to make an impact in your life. And he says, there are these people, and they're healed of their leprosy, ten of them. And one of them came back to give thanks. Now, Jesus is brilliant. But this is one of those, I'm like, mm, come on, Jesus. Ten guys healed of leprosy, they're all coming back. Like, man, cartwheels, and they're, like, they're singing Raise the Roof. And I mean, it's like, this is a, they're all coming back, man. They're all coming back to say thanks. But you know, could it be? Could it be that you want something and eventually you get it? And then you just go forward. What I love about the brilliance of God, hear me this morning, don't miss this. This could be worth your drive. In this holy inspired book, he gives us the story of a man who had it and lost it in Job and found that God is all that he needs. And he gives us the story in the wisdom literature of a man who had it all and realized it meant really nothing to him in the Song of Songs, in Ecclesiastes. Could it be with us that we are a people who get what we want and then we just keep going and then Days, weeks, months later, we're gripped in that next thing. And every parent in the room, every grandparent, knows the value. Well, not grandparents, you spoil your kids. I know who you are. I see you. You give them everything they want. You don't discipline them. You send them back to their parents, okay? I get that. I understand. But parents, every parent in the room knows the value of a kid having to wait, don't you? And I want to say to some of you, God has not forgotten you. And he knows the value that you don't know in waiting on him. There's a, a quote, I think I stole it from a Need to Breathe song. You don't want what you are waiting for to become what you are counting on. That's worth the drive today. You don't want what you're waiting on, waiting for to become what you are counting on. Luke chapter 2, let's go to this story that points us toward Christmas and Advent. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. There was a pro also a prophet, Anna. By the way, Luke, the doctor, the brilliant physician, he tells a bunch of stories in Luke of a man and a woman pairing them up, telling us that the gospel is for everyone, advancing the rights of women in that day. A man and a woman, a man and a woman, a man and a woman. Over and over, he pairs them up. Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. This grips your heart. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Somebody in this crowd knew the answer. What was Simeon waiting for? The consolation of Israel. Hearkening back to the prophet Isaiah. Saying comfort and comfort and comfort my people. It is not um, a removal of the pain and the circumstance, but it's an alleviation from It's a peace in the midst of. Now, in love, I want to say something probably hard. And I, I say it to some of you 
And I know that it is also in me and my worst moments. But in our waiting for God, we don't want to keep His way. And we're casual about it. And we're, not, we're, not, we're not following His way. We're just wanting what we want. It's that genie in a bottle, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme. Lord, my name is Jimmy. And you're praying and you're praying and you're praying. And you're wanting God to do something. But you're not willing to orient your life and your heart and your steps to be obedient to Him. And here we see this couple, far from what it's like for some of us. I'm just starting to preach here for a second. But like these folks, they were praying and they were fasting. When is the last time you denied yourself? You were so desperate. You were so desperate. Can I just tell you, God works through desperation. When all the bills are paid and the house is clean and the kids are calling and people are loving you and you're receiving praise and you've got more money than you need and all those things are going well. It's sunny and 70 and no humidity, all this stuff. It becomes about you and there's no, there's no desperation. So for, for a second, would, would you open your heart, your mind just a little bit to see why God might want you to wait? Why he might say no? But he, somebody needs to hear this, he works best when you are at your most desperate. Not trying, not straining, not human effort, but leaning into him and resting him and believing that he can do something when you keep his way and you wait patiently for him. A couple of things about waiting I want to share with you as we begin to round toward home. The first thing is in our waiting, okay, In our waiting, we grow tired. I do. Do you? Galatians 6. Do not grow weary in doing good. And when I have to wait, I grow weary. Lord, why do you sit idly by? Why are these people prospering? Why does it seem so... Why do I seem so stifled? Where are you? Lord, how long? Simeon to the temple every day. Praying and fasting and going and being obedient and doing things God's way. His heart was turned toward him. He was righteous and he was devout. He was devoted. Are you? He was devoted. Lord, today, today, Lord, today, Lord, every day, today, Lord. No. Not yet. Can we go back? I want to show you that continuum for the waiters in the room. There's now. That's where we live. There's not yet. And when we're in the now and we're waiting for the not yet, there's our worst fear. Not ever. Not ever. I don't wait well. A few weeks ago, Susan looked at me and she said, Robert, you're the most impatient person that I know. No stealth or subtlety there. I thought, I'm not going to respond to her and spark an argument. I'm just going to save it for a sermon illustration (laughs) to show you how mean and judgmental Susan is at times at home. But truthfully, she was fun and flirty and cute and right when I have to wait I grow tired years ago I was at a stoplight I was going to speak to a group of fishermen at 5 a.m. I had to be there at 5 a.m. so I'm at a stoplight 440 and at this stoplight the red light just didn't seem to turn green it was clear to me there was a malfunction at the junction and I said hey I'm you know, I'm a reasonable man. This is not working. I'm a pastor on mission from God. So I, I went through that light and discovered there was another car that had blue lights. 
And that officer asked me the gall of this man to look down at me and to say, do you think you're above the law? Tricky question when it's the law asking you that question. No, sir, no, sir. But I explained to him the reasonable man's standard of waiting, which seemed vaguely legal. He didn't buy it. But you read the Bible and you know there's stories where Genesis 16. If some of you hadn't read the Bible, we love you. We're glad you're here. We invite you into the book. But to, Genesis 16 gives a story about Abraham and Sarah. And they didn't wait. There was a slave involved. There was promiscuity. There was a, God, I'm not going to do it your way for relational intimacy and personal purity. I'm, not, I'm, I'm no longer going to listen to you. I'm going to do it my way. I mean, the Bible, is, it's, 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 a, it's got some trippy stuff if you've never read it. It's like the real housewives of Abraham. Just all this polygamy, slavery, just weird stuff. And they didn't wait on God. They, they, they turned and they did things their way. And you know what? We're like that, you and me. Single people. Wait. Married people in a tight spot. Wait. Tough job. Rebellious kids. Difficult circumstance. Not saying it's not hard. He's not saying it's not hard. Don't forget, forget what I say. He's not telling you that it's not hard. But he's telling you to wait patiently. And while you wait, keep his way real quick. Some of you are waiting on his will. God, what do I do in this situation? What do I do? And I want to tell you this. I want to tell you to do all that you know to be his will. All that you know, do that. And what you don't know, ask the question. What would a person of good character, and strong faith, and godly wisdom do? What would they do in this situation? Because over and over in the Bible, Genesis 16 is one example they didn't, that's not what they did. That's not what a person of good faith, deep character, and godly wisdom would do. They did things their own way. But ask that question. And then here, let me, let me, let me give you a green light. Go do that. Because God loves for children. Sometimes he gives signs. Sometimes he gives signs. But oftentimes he wants you to pray and think and reason and analyze and seek him and then go do it. And let him teach you. In Habakkuk, there were five ways we see in Habakkuk chapter 2. Nick, in the introduction to the service today, he talked about chapter 2 where it says the righteous will live by faith. Ever heard that before? Habakkuk said it. We hear it more in scripture. But in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, the, the words on the right, soul is puffed up, never at rest, not upright, wine is a traitor, greed and gathering for myself. All those words are used in Habakkuk chapter 2. I'm my own king. I'm not going to do it your way. I'm my own savior. Can I, sit, can I tell you about your savior? Your savior never sleeps or slumbers. He's up all night. His mercies are new every single morning. If you want to be your savior, you have to stay up all night. And you know what? Some of you are. Years ago, it was a difficult season for me. And I was staying up all night. And Susan was snoring. And can I tell you, faith 
snores. You rest. He's got this. Are you waiting and can you trust him? Hey, he's got this. I'm choosing culture over kingdom. I don't want to be the minority. Listen, young people, I don't want to be different. I don't want to stand out. I'm tired of waiting. I'm just going to, I'm going to go do things my way. Or I'm avoiding reality. Habakkuk says wine is a traitor. These are people that just like, man, they're, they're just sheltered. They're in a sensory deprivation tank. They're drinking and they're in denial of what's happening in the world around them. And lastly, we see in Habakkuk 2, I'm living for me. I'm gathering for myself. You see, when it comes to waiting, you can be DIY, do it yourself. Or you can lean on His grace and understand that He's got you. So I want you, we're almost done with the whole service because we switched the order up a little bit. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen for a moment. You're almost out of here. But in a moment, I want to ask, uh, I want to ask you to stand. What did you learn at the beginning? The name Habakkuk means what? What's the translation there? It means what? To, it means to embrace or to wrestle. Some of you wrote that down. Today, in a moment, not now, I'm going to give you time to ponder. But some of you today, you're embracing God. Like you, you, you know that he's embraced you. And you're able to love because he first loved you. And you, you're in a good place today. You might not have been last Tuesday. You may not be tomorrow. But you're here today like you talk to God. You talk to God today. You said good morning, Lord, and you know that he loves you, and you're, like, you're in a good place. Not perfect, you're not free from pain, but you're embracing God. And another category is this wrestling with God. It's you today. You're not necessarily evil person, but you have sin and you have struggle. And this how long question, this why question is really paramount in you. It's a big part of you today. You're, you're, you're wrestling with God. And you have some doubts and discouragement. Or maybe like Habakkuk, you've kind of got that dominant dual nature where you're both wrestling with God and you're embracing God. Like both are true in your life. So I want you this morning, if it's you today where you're embracing God, would you, would you stand today? Like I would want to see you stand today. If, you're, if you just say, Man, God's doing a work in my life. I believe him and I trust him. You're not, you're not perfect. This isn't a, a move of self-righteousness. But like, we need you. The 930, we had a bunch of people stand to say, hey, I'm embracing God. He's good. I know, I know that he loves me and I have joy from him. Would you stand today just as a testimony of that God is good? Well, we see you. Thank you. God bless you. More of you. You would just stand today. You're not perfect. You're not saying you're problem free. You're just saying God is good in my life. I'm embracing him today. Look all around the room. Now, this morning, you're, uh, you're wrestling with him. There's something, something hard, something's hard. You've got some doubt, you're discouraged by some things. Would you stand this morning if you're wrestling with God? Would you stand? We see you, more of you. And lastly, if it's just kind of that dual nature, you're embracing him and you're wrestling with him, would you stand this morning? That's probably all of us. If you're not standing, you probably just hate preachers that ask people to stand. (laughs) Or you're unable to stand, bless you. Let me pray for you.